0: All right, everybody. Welcome to the Barca Blogger on podcast. My name is Josh. We are joined by our friend, our enemy, uh, Matt Wilsey. How are we
1: doing today, Matt? Hey, Josh. Doing well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the match on Sunday.
0: Yeah, um, I did want to chat a little bit about... Uh, so both of our teams, of course, had uh, equally impressive European wins over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we took down the Giants, uh, I think, 12th place team in the Turkish League, Galatasaray, by the skin of our teeth. You guys, of course, took down... Uh, the uh, the Ferrari that goes 10 miles an hour the entire season uh, in PSG. I want to talk a little bit about that just because uh, it has nothing to do with Barcelona, but it was just fascinating, so I want to chat about it. Um, when you think about Karim Benzema in 20 years, is that going to be what comes to your mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that moment in that game is going to live on in Real Madrid for- folklore for a very long time. I think... He cemented himself as one of the greatest ever to to wear the white shirt, and I think he now, um, I mean, he's surpassed Alfredo Di Stefano in terms of goal scored. So it, it shows you kind of the magnitude of his legacy at Real Madrid. And he, for a lot of people now, he's surpassed Raúl in terms of his legacy. And honestly, I, I don't think I can argue with that. I think his long- longevity and just his overall peak performance has probably been better than Raúl's.
0: So did you did you learn anything about your club in that match other because for me when I was watching it it's not that I wasn't impressed by Real Madrid because of course like just for them to you know compete and all that like I was equally impressed by them as I had been I guess it was more so an indictment I guess on how PSG played did you feel did you feel any better about your club or did you just feel like they just took advantage of a team that has no
1: idea what they're doing no i think we definitely felt better um because for a hundred or however many minutes i mean for three-fourths of that for that match psg were the better side they were playing the better football they looked far superior tactically physically you name it they just looked like the better team but that final 30 minutes was just incredible and i've never seen just a meltdown from psg like i mean we've seen that before from psg but to, just to, on that scale and just all the narratives that we're following along with this game and all the different plot lines with Mbappe, everything that happened in the summer, Al-Khalifi, UEFA, Super, Super League, like you name it, there's so many different plot lines and for it to end the way it did was just incredible and I think, um, I don't know, I think you asked whether or not we, we learned something new about this team, I, th- I think we have because we didn't know if this team was capable of this because, yes, the 3P team was capable of this, and really only Modric and um, Benzema were on the field for that final 30 minutes that were from that 3P team or were, like, core core members of that 3P team. But the rest of it, like, for guys like Militao, Fede Valverde, Kamavinga, Rodrigo, Vinicius, all these guys who changed the game and their youthful energy and their dynamism is what, honestly, change change that tide in that game and i think um for the for those guys to have their first big european night at the santiago bernabe it was very very important
0: so your uh your next matchup is against chelsea um assuming chelsea are able to actually get to these matches and field a team uh how do you think real Madrid match up with uh tuchel's chelsea
1: so this is an interesting one. I think it's more evenly matched than it was last year, and I think that's because Real Madrid have improved more so than more so than Chelsea. I think Chelsea's probably on an equivalent level to where they were last year. But now I think we've seen the partnership of Militao-Alaba, really. Um, that's a strong partnership, and it's not like we're going into the game with an injured Ramos and half-fit Varane. Um, we've got Vinicius at a whole nother level, Benzema playing. At a whole nother level, and so I think then you start to incorporate guys like Rodrigo, Camavinga, Fede, who are another year older, another year experience. I think that Real Madrid now have enough to match Chelsea. And I think it's interesting that the second leg will be at the Santiago Bernabeo. I think that will make a difference. Chelsea are going to have to play without fans for the first leg. So I'm not saying that Real Madrid are favorites, but I think it's much more evenly matched than it was last year, where Chelsea completely outplayed us and were deserved winners. But this year, I think it will be it's fifty fifty for me in my mind right now.
0: Um, okay, so let's actually talk about people are going to get mad. I spent the first five minutes, but it's my podcast. I can talk about what I want, and I'm interested in Real Madrid. Uh, let's talk about uh, Xavi's Barcelona. So I can't. I think we last chatted in like the end of October, so we we're kind of just getting things going. Um, what has been your uh your perspective and your thoughts on xavi's barcelona the last like couple months when they've actually started looking competent
1: yeah i mean all credit to xavi as much as i hate saying this like he's done a very good job so far i think the winter reinforcements have obviously helped and now it feels like barcelona has a lot of depth and a lot of offensive weapons to choose from and i'm not sure what his starting 11 is and i don't think xavi is even sure what his starting 11 is and so um that that's a credit to him and how he's managing the team and they look great honestly Barcelona look great and this is probably the most worried I'd be going into a Classico in a very long time especially if Kareem Benzema ultimately does not make it and I don't want him to force it if, if he is still injured so um but without Benzema without our best player that makes a huge difference and with the form that Barcelona are in it, it's makes it for a scary proposition we couldn't what how many classic in a row has it been five or five or so that Real Madrid have won this could be the I don't, end I don't of keep uh, track this could be at the end of that run
0: um let's talk about some of like the matchup problems right I, I guess for me in this this current Barcelona team um <clears throat> I, I don't think long term you know year-over-year success is going to rely on this but I think the the team as they're built right now relies heavily on Triore being able to create basically creates something up the side and i when that when that happens it obviously opens up things in the middle for De Jong, Pedri when Aubameyang's out there does does Triore's, uh he's he's kind of a one uh he's kind of a one-stop shop. He does one thing well, right? And that's pushing the ball up the pitch, trying to out-physical people. Uh will that create problems for how Real Madrid want to play with the fullbacks getting up and I think he'll be on the same side as Vinicius, right? Because Vinicius usually plays on the left. Yeah. So what does that do for how Real Madrid want to play, that they're going to have to deal with this guy that uh, he does one thing well, and that's pretty much it. And if you can stop that thing, then you're good. But if not, he's going to just basically make Vinicius work all day. Yeah, and
1: I think what I was looking forward to was a potential Mendy-Triore battle, but Ferlan Mende is now injured and will not make the match. Um so I think we'll probably see Nacho play left back and I do not like that Sweet. I don't like that matchup. <laughs> uh Nacho is <laughs> underratedly fast but I don't even for him like I don't think he's got as quick of a step as Traore and just Traore is just a physical menace. And so um I mean I think back what game was it where he, his debut against Atletico Madrid where he played against uh Hermoso? oh my god I've never seen just such an uneven battle in my life Hermoso got tortured by Traore and so um, that's what I'm hoping does not happen if, if Traore starts I don't even know if he will but it seems like he will um, and yeah that would be that would be a concern for me that would be a mismatch and that would be an area where you're right Vinicius would probably have to be shackled with more defensive responsibilities and that's not what we want
0: um, Can we talk about these black kits? Yeah
1: I'm not, I mean, Barca's wearing their away kits as well. I'm not in favor of this. It's just not, it's not, I mean, maybe I'm too old school, but, like, this is the traditional Real Madrid white versus the Blaugrana. I mean, that's how it's always been. That's how it always should be.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the picture on y'all's website of, like, kind of the con. It's the the main picture is the the black Real Madrid kit and the Barcelona kit. And it's just not, it's not good. (laughs) It looks like... I don't really understand. I think if you take like, if you showed me this kit in a vacuum and you took away the Real Madrid uh, patch, I think I would like it. I think that looks cool. But as soon as you put the Real Madrid <laughs> patch on it and I'm gonna have to watch like yellow and black run around, I feel like I'm watching like a college, like like a tier two, like yeah. division two college soccer game or something <laughs> like that. Like this is just, this is very, I don't understand this. Um, let's talk about, uh, you actually uh, wrote something this morning about Erling Holland. Uh, just so, some quotes. From a uh, former Real Madrid individual who shall remain nameless, um, why, why should Real Madrid fans believe that Erling Holland and Mbappe can both get signed this summer? Why well, I, is it this? Because I feel like at this point, City are getting him, and Barcelona and Real Madrid are both posturing that oh, it's still possible, just for like the sake of it. Is it actually possible for Real Madrid to get Erling Holland this summer?
1: I think it's possible whether or not it's the right thing to do is a entirely different question, and I'm probably um, – Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm part of the group, and I think this is a vocal minority, but I've been vocal about it. I don't think it makes sense to sign Erling Holland. I'd rather – we're already bringing in Mbappe. It, you have Karim Benzema and Vinicius Jr. Like, this is going to be – Mbappe is going to be the face of this team, and you just can't have two alphas. Like, who's going to want to take the – Penalty kicks. Who's going to want to take the free kicks? They're both going to be kind of have that Cristiano Ronaldo type ego, and I just don't think it ever meshes well when you have two of those types of players. And then you're not going to like one of Benzema or Vinicius would have to likely sit on the sit on the bench for big games at the very least. And so that's just for me, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. And I just I'd rather reinforce other positions. I'd rather try and sign Chua Meni, who's a defensive midfielder from Monaco that we've been linked with. I'd rather try and identify a top quality right back that we could sign. Uh, We're going to need reinforcement at the left back position as well. So there's definitely areas of the pitch that I'd rather focus on. And Erling Holland isn't, it would honestly, yeah, of course, it would be so fun to see and it would be a dream for a lot of Madridistas and I think. They just get hyped up on the thought that oh like it's almost their ego as a fan talking like oh we signed mbappe and holland like look look what (laughs) we can do but in reality like i just i think it would be a blessing in disguise if we didn't sign him
0: wow okay uh i think the blessing in disguise (laughs) yeah but that results in manchester city getting erling holland which is not a blessing in disguise for anybody um
1: Going back to just one thing though, I don't know that like I feel like strikers under Pep Guardiola have always struggled. Even like Erling Holland is more similar, I would say. There's a lot in Ibrahimovic, and we saw how how much he struggled at Barcelona. So I don't know that it's like a natural fit. But yeah, I mean, it obviously does make that team a lot more scary. But I just don't know if it translates as well as everyone thinks it will.
0: Yeah. So let's chat about the uh the Real Madrid attack so if Benzema doesn't play what does Real Madrid's uh attacking tactics look like is it just a Vinicius Junior show like what do they have to do especially Vinicius is tied down more defensively perhaps uh doesn't have as much energy kind of mid-match maybe of course I don't know if he ever runs out of energy um what does their attack look like without Benzema in the lineup
1: honestly we've I don't know what Ancelotti will do if if Benzema can't play because there was a a window of time just maybe a month or so ago where Benzema was out for a couple games and he experimented with Isco at false nine. He gave Jovic a few minutes, not not very many, um, and he I think he tried Asensio as well, and like none nothing really convinced. Uh, and then Benzema was back in time for us to not really have to worry about it. But this has been the problem all season. We don't have a Benzema replacement because Carlo refuses to trust Jovic. And so we have no natural backup striker. Mariano's been out in the wilderness for years now. So if he does ultimately go with Isco, the question is Isco hasn't played in, I think, three or four matches consecutively now. Like, he's going to be coming in just completely out of the blue, no rhythm, no continuity, probably no fitness levels. So I, I would think the most he could last is 60 minutes. Who comes in for him then? If it's Jovic, he's in the same situation. He hasn't played the last three or four games. So this is this is kind of one huge major pet peeve of Real, Real Madrid fans have with, with Carlo Ancelotti. It's his lack of rotations, his lack of um, – just integrating some other members of the squad so that when injuries do occur, and they will because he refuses to rotate, um, <laughs> that some other players have some continuity and that they're not coming in off the bench just completely cold.
0: Um, So, Real Madrid's La Liga success so far this season, um, why would they not kind of take a more passive role? And I guess because this is a Clasico. so. Are you guys at all concerned about Sevilla at all?
1: To be honest, not really, okay. especially given their recent form. It's now 10 points adrift. It would take a catastrophic meltdown for us to not win the title, but as Ancelotti pointed out this weekend, he said, "Look, I've been three no- I've been three nothing up at a Champions League halftime and I've still lost the game, so I know how important it is to see things through." So we're. I don't think we're going to take any. And Ancelotti, especially, he's not going to take any risks. He's going to play as strong as eleven probably every week in La Liga. Uh,
0: yeah, that's just the Carlo way. Um, are you? What scares you the most about Barcelona right now?
1: Hmm. Um, honestly, that that in the final third, that uh, the just offensive weapons they have now, Ferran yes. Torres, Obama Gang. It's, it's taken 2
0: years of you and I chatting for you to actually <laughs> say you're actually scared of the Barcelona attack. Yeah, directly. I am.
1: It, it's 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 I have to admit like it's it's back to its best. Um Pedri's now finally fit again, so he's obviously a huge player for you guys. And it looks like Xavi's ideas are finally starting to embed and Barcelona's finally starting to click, but I think this will be it's going to be interesting because this will be like their first really big test since all of these like this fine run of form and these all these good games over the last few months and the new signings and everything like that this will be the first big test it'll be interesting to see how Barcelona reacts
0: I can't believe you're just throwing away our Napoli win like that That hurts (laughs) a lot um what do you think is going to happen I don't I don't need like a scoreline I just need like what's the mat like what do you expect to happen this weekend
1: um
0: because I'm un- I'm completely unsure. You could tell me three-one Barcelona. You could tell me three-one Real Madrid. This is the first time I've gone into a Clasico and kind of thrown my hands up in quite some time.
1: I honestly think it'll probably be a scoring draw. I know that's a I know that's kind of a coward's way out, but I think it's going to be a goal scoring draw. I could see like a two-two. Just I'd be fine I with still, that. Just something know...
0: entertaining, keep me awake, please. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, seriously. I know that Barcelona have improved defensively, but I still think there's going to be holes there, especially over the top. And um, I think with Vinicius, his pace alone—I mean, it's, it, we've seen it in how many games against Barcelona, how he just wreaks havoc. So I think that's an area where we can we can capitalize on. But I do think Barcelona have enough weapons in the offense to to score some goals.
0: Yeah, and that's what I'm, I'm most interested to see is, like, Barcelona's, I, I think they're, the fact that they haven't given up as many goals recently is, in my opinion, more so due to the fact that they've been uh, more offensively confident. I don't think it's necessarily been due to, like, their defense is all of a sudden better. Uh, part of that's also just because they haven't played a team. I mean, yeah, they haven't really played a team with, like, an unbelievable offensive attack. Like, Napoli can definitely score goals, but uh, they have not played a team... Granted, there aren't that many teams as good as Real Madrid, right? Um, like, you know, you're talking about the top, you know, five teams in Europe with an attack as good as Real Madrid. But it's still going to be an interesting test for them to see, like, if they're able to maintain enough possession and be competent enough in the midfield to uh, to withstand some of that Real Madrid counterattack and Real Madrid pace. Um, that's kind of all I got. Do you have any closing thoughts for the Classico this weekend other than the fact that it's actually a matchup again? Xavi is heading towards. Uh, I won't say heading towards more Zidane than Lampard, but I think, you know, our initial concerns about him flaming out right away, you know, the uh, um, the the Lampard route, I think have been at least thwarted for now. You know, he could still get sacked in 12 months. I'm not saying that won't happen. Um, but I think w- we're heading back towards a reality of a fun Real Madrid-Barcelona um, rivalry. Uh, La Liga is going to be a lot of fun next year, especially... Assuming Mbappe comes over, Xavi gets some more talent in the off season. Uh, I think we're headed back towards a actual, you know, uh, a Classico, you know, twice a year that's going to be fun. Uh, Spanish cups that are going to be fun. Like I think Barcelona and Real Madrid are back. We can say that, right? Like they're they're here.
1: Don't speak too soon. We still we gotta we gotta see how this game plays out on Sunday. But, um, well, I wanted to ask you, wh- what do you think from? Uh i told you what i think scares me most about barcelona what what worries you most about real madrid
0: i think what worries me most about real madrid uh is the fact that like uh modric is still doing stuff uh his (laughs) i I, every time i like because there were parts of the psg um because like the psg matchup is really all i've watched of real madrid over the last like month or two probably um and there were parts of that matchup where i thought he just like uh he didn't look into it or he didn't not that he didn't look into it i just thought he was getting like outclassed a little bit but then when it mattered he was there and he was the best midfielder on the pitch and it it just made me mad and if he comes to play this weekend like i don't think i don't think Pedro De Jong can really keep up with him like if he decides to do it for like the last 20 minutes like, i don't think he can i don't think he can maintain that high level of play for a full 90 minutes anymore i think he picks his spots but he's so smart about it, like it doesn't usually end up hurting them at all. And so I'm most interested to watch Pedro and DeYong uh going up against, you know, Casemiro. And of course Busquets had some nice words to say about Casemiro, which I despised uh to mm. to read. Uh, but he's right. And I think every time these two teams play, um I am most fascinated with the midfield. And especially over the last, you know, 20 months, it's been can Barcelona's midfield matchup with Real Madrid's and I think this iteration of the Barcelona midfield is the most capable it's been in the last couple of years with the young really coming into form, Pedri looking great. Uh, you know, I, I still have grandpa on the defensive midfield and I, I can't fix that, but you know, he can, as long as he doesn't do anything dumb, like I still, I'm I'm very excited to see Frankie and Pedri go up against the Real Madrid midfield. Like that's to see them, you know, match up against potentially the best midfield in the world is going to be really all I care about watching like at the end of the day this game it matters for bragging rights Uh, it doesn't really it doesn't matter that much in terms of La Liga like Barcelona or Real Madrid pretty much have it wrapped up Uh, it matters for Barcelona in so much as it gets them closer to Sevilla ahead of their matchup and getting second place which I think would be an unbelievable boost from where they were uh, you know 12 months ago or six months ago even so that part's important Uh, but We're just watching them compete is really what I'm excited about. And I I hope that the Barcelona team with fire, you know, they came out really slow against Galatasaray in the first leg. And even in the first half yesterday, just looked kind of lethargic. Um, That's not going to happen this weekend. Like they're going to be fired up for a Classico. And so with that being said, um, I have no idea what can happen. I think a a draw is obviously possible. Um, I think as long as they play smart, I don't see them giving up like three goals like I used to. Like, I mean, I used to... In the previous Classico's over the last, you know, year, I could have seen Real Madrid scoring four or five goals. Like that's just how it felt. I don't necessarily see that happening because I think Barcelona are confident enough offensively to not um to not see Real Madrid have, you know, sixty-five, seventy percent possession. Like I think Barcelona are gonna compete there. And so in terms of what's gonna happen, I don't really know. I'm just excited to watch Barcelona compete again. And I think that's all Barcelona fans can really hope for.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be like you said there's not much on the line but i think it would be for barcelona especially just a huge psycholo- psychological boost for the final few months of the season and like heading into next year where it'll give them the momentum and confidence that they can fight for the la liga title again
0: yeah like i mean top 4 is it's not secured right like actually let me look at the table um let's see how far ahead are they uh yeah i mean they're only they have a match in hand, but they're only really two points clear of Betis, And so, I mean, they still have to play for top four, right. But like all this season, the, the thought process, at least from my perspective over the last few months, has just been like basically base building. You're, you're trying to build like a good base heading into next year. Um, and they've done more than that. Like they're actually competing. Like they're, they're, uh, they're, they're going to play Frankfurt and, um, in the, the Europa league. Like that's fun. Uh, it's a, you know, a good boost for the players to get to travel around Europe, whatever. Uh, but just watching them not only build a base, but be able to compete against, you know, Atletico Madrid and, you know, hopefully against Real Madrid this weekend and go into Napoli and win and go into Turkey and win. Like they're building all this confidence heading into next year when hopefully they'll be able to get, you know, a few more reinforcements this summer and really just set themselves up to compete for the legal title next year. And that's, that's what this weekend's about. So, um, yeah, Matt, everyone listen to the managing Madrid podcast. I always shout them out to do great work, uh, kind of an inspiration to the rest of the SB nation podcast brand and Matt, uh, thank you for joining us and enjoy the match this weekend.
1: Hey, hey thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah. Enjoy the match.